Listen, there's a great work to be done. As soon as you win this court battle, you must deliver this message. Take advantage of this opportunity and declare a powerful message to this world. He expects more of us. He believes we can do more. Who's going to stop Christ? Who's going to stop Christ from getting this work done? This is Behind the Work. Welcome to Behind the Work. I'm Grant Turgeon. Every year, members of the Philadelphia Church of God around the world keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a momentous, exciting, rejuvenating seven-day festival. And it's commanded by God. In fact, he even commands us to rejoice during this time. I talked about this a whole lot more in detail on Friday's episode of Trumpet Bookshelf. But this feast has a parallel that actually explains a lot about the way we do God's work. There is a parallel here. So this feast is all about picturing the world tomorrow It is about the thousand-year rule of Jesus Christ on this earth after about 6,000 years of humans trying to build their own civilization and failing spectacularly. Christ will come and he will set up a new world, a better world. And that is why the Feast of Tabernacles is a time of such great rejoicing. We are reminded of this vision seven days in a row, every single year. Now, this parallel I'm talking about, it has to do with harvests. This parallel involves The spring harvest versus the fall harvest. Speaking both literally about harvests and figuratively, physically and spiritually. Here in Pagan Holidays or God's Holy Days, which a booklet available to you for free at thetrumpet.com. The late Worldwide Church of God founder Herbert W. Armstrong wrote, To portray his plan, God took the yearly material harvest seasons in ancient Israel as the picture of the spiritual harvest of souls. In the Holy Land, there are two annual harvests. The first is the spring grain harvest. Second comes the main harvest. So you have... Holy days every year, these seven annual observances, and the ones that take place in the spring season, at least here for us in the Northern Hemisphere, and I believe the Southern as well, but the ones that take place in the spring, so Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost, 
Those are during the small spring harvest spiritually. That's where God is working with just a select few people. There are those in the Philadelphia Church of God and those who are supporting the work that this church does. There are just a very few who are reaping a harvest today. Just a few laborers in this small spring harvest. But then there's a fall harvest. That's where the rest of mankind comes in. That's where the fall holy days come in. So you have the Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day. These days are all about the fall harvest. This is where mankind, past, present, and future, will be given an opportunity to learn God's way, to obey him, to become converted, and to become born as members of the God family, as children of God. Now think about this approach. When, when supporters of God's work realize that there is a small spring harvest and a large fall harvest, so to speak, when we understand that God is only working with a few people today, doesn't that really change our perspective? Isn't that quite a sharp contrast to the way that traditional Christianity teaches about the crusade to save as many people as possible right now? That's really what most other churches are trying to do. I've had some conversations with people who are very religious in a worldly sense, and they feel obligated, compelled to bring up in casual conversation whether we have accepted the name of Jesus Christ. The conversation isn't usually even about anything religious at all. And yet they will bring up that somewhat awkward topic. Now, some religious people will be excited to discuss that. But if they're talking to certain people, obviously such a subject will not be welcome. <laughs> not everyone is receptive to being asked about if they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so what kind of an effect does that have on people when traditional Christians ask them out of nowhere if they have accepted Christ? Well, most of the time what that's going to do is drive those people 
even further from God. It's not having the type of effect that those Christians would want. They're not drawing people in. They're actually inadvertently pushing people away. You see, that is why God's work doesn't do anything like that. There should never be a time where we broach the subject of religion to unsuspecting victims, people who don't want to hear about it. We don't solicit. We don't try to force our beliefs on anybody. And generally, they they won't even know what our beliefs are unless they specifically ask us. What a totally different approach. But it's all driven by this idea of these two harvests where we understand that God and Satan are not in a frantic back and forth struggle for souls today. God is not fighting for against Satan to save as many people as possible right now. That is simply not God's plan. That is not how it works. And that is the entire reason why God's work does not solicit or bring up the subject of salvation to everyone we talk to. It's not like that at all. It's a totally different perspective. Imagine how badly God would be losing this soul-saving battle if there actually were one. Do you think most of the seven-plus billion people on earth today are obeying God, (laughs) are accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Of course not. Of course people are not meeting God's specific requirements for being a part of his family. There's a whole in-depth conversion process that God requires for each one of us. It's not a matter of just saying we believe in God or even that we believe some of the things that he says in the Bible or even just accepting Christ as savior. It's not that simple. It's about repentance and baptism, obedience and faith. So basically we obey God's law. We realize how wrong we've been in the past and how we need to totally change We need to live a totally different way. And then we get baptized. We have full submerging in the water, laying on of hands from God's ministers and receiving that small down payment of God's Holy Spirit, the living power of God 
working in our minds, helping us become one with God, helping us do great deeds and exploits for God. It's a totally different way of life than what we were doing in the past before God called us. And God is not calling the vast majority of people right now. In fact, only God himself can call. Even Jesus Christ can't do that. John 6 verse 44. God is calling a very small number of people right now to do the work. It has nothing to do with heaping up huge numbers of members in the church. It is not about saving all mankind today. Last year at the Feast of Tabernacles, actually, October 3rd, 2020, PCG Pastor General Gerald Flurry gave a sermon where he actually talked a lot about this subject, about the real focus of God's work, how it's not at all about the membership numbers in the church. So we will just hear a clip now. It's almost three minutes long from that sermon by Mr. Flurry at the feast last year. Here we have nearly 315 TV stations, brethren. And, and really, we've had, for the last few years, virtually uh, flatline attendance in the church. And we're just uh, maybe, I think, uh, might, might be about ready to begin to turn that around. But uh, listen, we only have 30 to 50 less TV pro, uh, uh, channels or networks to play our program. Just uh, 30 to 50 less than what Mr. Armstrong had. Of, the, just, of just the television. So, what it, what it, what's, what's the problem? Are, are, we, are we failing? You could look at that and say, well, yeah, yeah. We've got to just forget about the witness and let, let's, get, let's focus on the college. You could say that. You can make a case for that. I guess some, a few have. But I'll tell you something, brethren, there's one thing that we are doing in a powerful way. We are getting a message out there as a witness. Even as a small little group that we have, we're getting a powerful message out there. Which is really the primary message. And then God calls you to support and make it possible. It's up to us, brethren. It's up to each one of you individually. It's up to you to uh, do everything you can to be a supporter of this work and get that message out there. You don't need a lot of people. If, if God wants to open doors and He wants to give you TV stations, He could do that uh, in other ways without, without us. But he, he can't... 
If he's going to build character in you and prepare you as his son, you're going to have to get your mind in his work and think like God. That's what conversion is all about. Do we think like God? We really need to be searching to see if we do. We need and we must think like God. If we're going to be in the God family, if we're going to sit next to Jesus Christ and be his bride, we're going to have to think like God. And we learn that, a lot of that, at the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, that was a clip from a Feast of Tabernacles sermon given by Mr. Gerald Flurry last year. We're talking today about this awesome parallel between the spring and fall harvests in Israel, anciently, and the spring and fall harvests spiritually in God's master plan. How God is calling just a few today to do the work. And even a smaller number to become actual members of his church. And yet there is a very specific job to do for supporters of this work. And it has nothing to do with accumulating large numbers of members in the church. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 14 says, I seek not yours, but you. That's the Apostle Paul writing. So even when it comes to members of God's church, it's not about collecting a large income either. It's not about seeking yours or your possessions, your contributions in that way. It's about seeking your mind and your heart. It's about changing lives for the better for those few being called today. And it's it's the same approach or the same focus for all those God will call in the future. After Jesus Christ returns or even during the great tribulation or during the day of the Lord, during this time of suffering where people will acknowledge that their way of life was wrong and they will want to change. God is seeking you, not yours, but you. It's just a matter of timing. He's working with a few now in this small spring harvest, but very soon it will be time for the large fall harvest where all mankind is involved. So those who are supporting God's work today are delivering a warning message to the world as a witness that is the focus. Now, of course, it is important for the message to be delivered in the most attractive, appealing, relatable way possible by 
God's messenger and all of his supporters. The message does have to be a message of love and compassion to really reach people's minds, to show that we care about them. It does have to be as much as possible a pleasant message. But the reality is it's also a warning message. It is a trumpet blast work. A warning must be delivered because bad times are right around the corner. Ezekiel 33 verse 7 says, So you, O son of man, I have set you a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. So in this end time, God has set up one man to deliver a powerful warning message. And this man is simply repeating God's words, the words that are in the Holy Bible. He's not inventing his own message to try to win people over, to try to convert more members today. He has to deliver God's message, no matter how hard that might be. Not every single aspect of God's message is easy to hear because it does deal in facts and reality. It's not a message of smooth words all the time. Verse 8 here, Ezekiel 33, verse 8. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. If you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. Verse 9. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So God's man and God's work deliver the warning, knowing full well that the vast majority of people will not listen and they will choose death rather than to escape the suffering by obeying God. We know that we're not going to heap huge numbers of members by delivering God's warning. Nevertheless, the warning still must go out. God always warns before punishing. That's his love. And it gets easier and easier to see all the time looking around at the world why the punishing the punishment must come god simply can't reach most people today the way that they think the way that they're dominated by emotion the way that they are so set in evil ways and insane beliefs what could possibly 
shake people out of that kind of a mentality. It has to get pretty hard for a lot of people before they will listen. And yet the punishment is only as hard as each person needs for him to change. So this message must be delivered. It is a watchman warning work. It's not about numbers. It's about being a witness. But it is certainly a bonus when new converts come along. And that's something to pray for and hope for all the time. It is a joyous event when someone hears God's message, his mind is open to the truth, God calls him because that means he will escape the suffering that is coming. He can live a better life right now, today, rather than waiting until after Christ's return to enjoy that. Here in Matthew 9, verse 35, starting in verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. You see, it doesn't say there that Jesus Christ did these things and was a witness just to church members, just to his followers. He had only 120 disciples at the end of his three and a half year ministry. That would be a failure if he were trying to save as many people as possible at that time when he was there on the earth in their midst. But no, his main job was to be a messenger of the coming kingdom. And of course, to pay for our sins with his sacrifice. But it wasn't all about just accruing a massive following. Not at all. Notice this, Matthew 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Verses 37 and 38. Then said, un then said he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So even today, laborers are needed. More supporters of God's work are needed. More church members are needed. That's definitely something worth praying about. It's not the, the main focus of God's work. But of course, every bit of support counts and makes that warning message perhaps more powerful. It has to be a powerful warning message that can reach anyone 
who has questions about what is going on in the world, questions about his purpose on earth, questions about a better, more peaceful way to live. That warning message must be accessible. We won't force it on anyone, but anyone who wants to hear, who is teachable, needs to be able to hear it, needs to be able to know God's way, know God's warning before the trouble comes. So this Feast of Tabernacles is really, in, in ways, in some ways, a symbol of that large fall harvest, the start of all mankind receiving training directly from God, instruction from God, love from God, learning how to change their lives for the better. It's all a matter of God's timing. What a lovely, wonderful, inspiring festival, the Feast of Tabernacles. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Behind the Work. You've been listening to Behind the Work. Email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for a new episode each Monday at 12 p.m. Central Time.